0: This is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of F.E. Church, and this is our podcast. All right, well, written in the stars week two. Last week, we talked about the wise men, right? Who was here for the wise men? Awesome. So you're all caught up. The wise men traveled through the deserts, right? Following a star, they came to bless the Savior, not to be blessed by Him. And we talked about how we're going to bring our best the last weekend of the year, right? December 20th and 29th is going to be our what we have for the past few years called Rewind Weekend, where we look back at the year that we just had, where we look forward into what God is calling us into, and we sort of just celebrate. You ready to celebrate? Yeah. Yeah. It is a year, a month of celebration. And so I'll tell you what, it's easy to talk about these things, about bringing our best, about celebrating in December, right? Around Christmas, when we're all feeling magical and cozy and celebratory, it's much harder to make this a lifestyle, isn't it? Bringing God our best always, because it's sort of exhausting (laughs) after a month of bringing our best all the time. we... I really want this series, this Written in the Stars series, to not just be a season for us, but to permeate our culture for years to come. I want us to not be so necessity-based in our giving, but more passion-driven. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, I could come up here and I could present all of these tasks, all of these things we have to check off the list, all of these necessities around the church. We need HVAC systems and four units in the ministry center. We need a roof fix that's leaking and we need uh, some big new flashy outreach project to finance, right? I, I could present those needs to you and you all being the generous people that you are would fill them. I know you would because I've seen it happen so many times. You want to provide for the needs of your church, but I don't want giving around here to just be necessity based. It must also be passion driven, that we would each decide how much to give because we are cheerful givers. And it doesn't matter the amount, get the amount thing out of your head. In fact, last week after the sermon, a person or two came up afterward and said, what's the, the goal for the best gift offering? How can I help you pray? And their hearts were right in it. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying this isn't really that kind of a thing. It's not like we're pushing for a specific number or, or an amount. This isn't an initiative or something like that. This is just understanding passion that we can have a passion for the church because Jesus created it as the avenue to tell the gospel to the world. It's about stirring up a generous spirit, passionate worship. Passion is what I want us to catch from this series because we are a vibrant, passionate, selfless church. And because passion should fuel our giving, it's also what should fuel our worship, And this is where I thought we were going this week. I guess we still sort of are, but I feel like I got this revelation of worship this week that is beyond what I expected. I expected to study the shepherds and the angels. They worshiped God in a field and take away the normal worship lessons from it. See, as a kids pastor, I taught the kids every week how to worship God. I read this book early on in ministry called Teaching Kids Authentic Worship, I think it's linked in your sermon notes for you parents who want this information. It's an incredibly useful book, and and I I learned a lot about authentic worship through that book, and I sat down, and I would teach the kids every week. You know, first, we'd do the jumping around, you know, getting our energy out, motions kind of, Jesus, you're my superhero, kind of. I still know all the motions, by the way. I'm very proud of that, Uh, but we do all of that, and then we sit, right, And I'd have them focus. You have to really help kids focus. And so we'd get all the energy out. We'd sit. We'd turn the lights down low. We'd we'd play some worshipful music, not the jumping around kind, and we'd close our eyes. And I would say, okay, worship isn't about the music. It's not about the dancing. It's not about the motions. This can be worship too. It's about our focus. And so we're going to focus right now. And I would say, what do you know about God? I'd lead them through these questions and they would raise their hand. Well, God loves us, right? Because God is love, right? We, we know how he relates to us, but what do you know about his character? There's a difference, right? God loves us. There's a me in that statement. So who is God? God is love. When you understand that God is love and not just that he loves me, you can also understand that he could never stop loving you for any reason. It's against his character because he is love. What else do you know about God? And they would raise their hand and somebody would say, Oh, God sent his son to die for us. Right? Because God is the savior because he is the deliverer because he is the healer because he is the comforter. That's who he is. So of course he sent the savior for us. That's who he is. And they'd raise their hand. God heals us when we ask. Yes. Because God is the healer. Okay, so we, we would go through who God is. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't be thankful and thank God for the things that He gives you, right? Thankfulness is something else, it has its place, and we need it too. But worship is all about God, not about us at all. Just about who he is. And so we'd sit and we'd go through this, and by the end of it, we'd have all of these characteristics of God. You probably hear me. It still comes out of my mouth. It's from the time back in the trenches in kids' ministry when I just trained myself to say, you are the provider, you are the deliverer, you are the comforter, you are the healer, you are the prince of peace, the everlasting father, because that is what worship is. It's focusing my heart on who he is. Is, and when worship is true and genuine and authentic, it has a few byproducts. There are a few things that we can see throughout scripture in our context today and that I've, I've experienced firsthand. When worship is true and genuine, when it's authentic, it is also contagious. Other people see it and they want to join in too. It is attractive. And you want some of that as well. And it is inspiring. It's contagious, attractive, and inspiring. The flip side is also true, though. When you see someone not worshiping in spirit and in truth, not worshiping authentically, but they're still going through the motions, it's icky, it's repulsive, it's repelling and depressing. It's not right. You can feel it when it's fake, when it's done for show, that sort of thing. Nobody wants to be around that. But when it's real... It's contagious. For the past few weeks, I have been in the back during worship, and this isn't something I usually like to do. When I agree to be lead pastor of this church, I made a commitment that I would go first, right? And so I take that seriously. I want to set an example, and so I'm usually in the front row, worshiping my heart out, being as authentic as I can about it to set that tone for the church. I'll go first, right? But these past few weeks, I was walking up to the front, on my way out, computer, microphone in hand, ready to go. And I felt God just say, not yet. Like, okay. <laughs> what do you mean, not yet? Guess I'll hang out back here for a while and see what that means. And I, as I understood over the next couple of weeks, God was whispering more into my soul about the sermon. I was literally back there editing and typing more notes in for the sermon. It was like God was saying, you're not done yet. Just hang on. But in that, I've gotten to be in the back a little bit more, and I've gotten to watch worship a little bit more than just lead it. And I've seen you all's genuine hearts for it. I mean, I've... See people wiping a tear occasionally or or just raising their hands in total surrender or closing their eyes and really focusing in, not focusing on anything else around them, just on God. And it is a beautiful, contagious, attractive, inspiring thing to watch other people worship genuinely. I wanted to run to the front and do it too. I was worshiping in the back, don't get me wrong. I wasn't just stalking you all, but. writing a note occasionally and then looking up. But I was, I wanted to worship with you because it's a beautiful thing when we see authentic worship. I, uh, as a youth kid here in this youth group growing up at Freedom Valley, we had this internship program called Master's Commission. Some of you will remember years and years ago. And so we had these college age kids and these youth kids, and we'd go on ministry trips occasionally where we would do skits and someone would preach and someone would lead worship and whatever. And we'd minister to other youth groups. And I was on one of these trips. It was to Virginia maybe or North Carolina or something like that. And I remember one of those interns, so she was a bit older than me. Her name was Angie. And I don't know if I've seen her since that year, but she was Latina. She was from a Southern church. She was bubbly and outgoing, but in worship, I got sat beside her. One time in worship. And I'm not the like jumping around, like shouting, like overly outgoing worshiper, but she was. And I got sat beside her and I was super uncomfortable for the first couple songs. Like she's all over the place. She's like taking up three seats. She's into it, you know? And, but honestly, by the end of that worship service, I was into it too. <laughs> Her genuine worship was so contagious. I couldn't help myself. And then the next service, I was like, I'm sitting by Angie. Save me a seat, right? I want to be there because it, it it's contagious. I was clapping along and dancing, and it was fun. Worship is contagious, attractive, and fun when it's done correctly. And honestly, that's that's where I thought we were really going with this. I was going to tell you all of those stories and tell you about how worship should be authentic, And then I started reading Luke 2. And I didn't start at verse 9, where the shepherds and the angels' story begins. I started back at verse 1 to really get the context of it. And remember last week when I talked about some of those verses that you just sort of throw away? Like, yeah, 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 context and times and names I don't know how to pronounce, whatever, I'm moving on. Get me to the good stuff, God, right? Well, the first verse is is sort of like that, and yet I couldn't move past it. Luke 2, 1 says, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. What great spiritual truth can you possibly get out of that, right? It's a time marker at best. Yes, we know that it happened. We know the place and time. We know the people. Okay, let's move on. Wrong, actually. This these two sentences in and of themselves are fulfillment of prophecy from almost 2,000 years prior. I, when I started to uncover this stuff, I just kept getting blown away. In the year 1906 BC, recorded in Genesis, Genesis, the beginning, the first book, Genesis 4910, Jacob prophesied that Shiloh, which is, means peace or the, It really is the Messiah, okay? That Shiloh would come, and I quote Genesis 49, the scepter was departed from Judah and the lawgiver from beneath his feet. Which means, I know it's a little bit old language, it means that the Messiah would come when Jerusalem was no longer in control by anyone from Jacob's line. Meaning that Jacob and his descendants would always be in control of Jerusalem until... The one, the peace, the Messiah came. They would literally be in control of Jerusalem until this point. Israel had its up and down, sure, but they had essentially had control of Jerusalem up until this point. Now, about 60 years before Jesus was born, Jerusalem was taken by Pompey, the Roman general, and he had granted the government of the church to somebody I cannot pronounce, Harkinus hier- hier- Or something like that. He granted the government away to someone else, not a Jewish leader, but not the government of state. And and over the next 60 years, by various decrees, they chipped away at that power. Chipping, chipping, chipping. The, The Jews had less and less control over their own government. By now, by the point that Jesus was born, 60 years later, Jewish people had so little control over their own city that this Quirinius dude could order that they be censused. What is the census good for? What is the purpose of counting people? Taxes, exactly. So this was the first tax. This was the first real, tangible um, reason for the Roman government being there. It was the first time in history the Jews did not have control of their own city. And this is when Jesus is born, during the census. Does anybody see the humongous coincidence in that? Is it a coincidence? No. It was prophesied two years ago, and it didn't happen 60 years before when Pompeii took over. It happened at just the right time, and I'm still getting goosebumps saying it. <laughs> I sat there at my kitchen table realizing all of this. And, and I know that the Messianic prophecies exist. That's why the series exists, right? I, I'm kind of aware that there have been Messianic prophecies. And yet when this dawned on me, the revelation of how big God is just dawned on me all over again. Genesis 49.10. Let me just read this again. From the beginning. Genesis. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Jacob knew it generations ago. He prophesied under the gift of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years before Jesus came. Do you all know when the first Messianic prophecy was, by the way? When sin happened. Right? Do you remember? They said... Uh, the serpent will be crushed beneath the feet of humanity. That someday one would come and crush the serpent's head. When sin entered the world is also when hope entered the world because God has never left us alone. It's been his plan from the beginning. If anything was ever written in the stars, it was the Messiah, the hope of the world. How can you not believe How can you not believe when all of this is true? All of it happened according to prophecy and therefore at just the right time. God didn't plan this nine months before when the Immaculate Conception Mary thing happened. He didn't plan it years before. He didn't plan it hundreds of years before, thousands of years before. But at the dawn of creation, when he put the stars in the sky, he sent a star to signify the coming of the Messiah. It's always been the plan. I just sat there. I literally had my head like this at the kitchen table. And Aaron came in and he said, what are you doing? (laughs) I said, I'm getting my mind blown right now. Just I need a minute, okay? I just had this revelation. This I just sat there in absolute awe of how big he is. And it wasn't just at the beginning, by the way. We've had breadcrumbs in almost every generation since throughout the Old Testament. There are hundreds of Messianic prophecies. Hundreds. I have linked in the sermon notes the top 40, I think, most helpful. (laughs) But there are hundreds of them. In uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's time, uh, the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Do you remember this Daniel and the lion's den story? And The astrologers can't interpret it. Other religion prophets can't interpret it. The the magicians and whoever, they can't interpret this dream. But Daniel, a Jewish man who served God, not only interpreted the dream for Nebuchadnezzar's time, but through to the Messiah and beyond. Read Daniel 2. It's actually incredibly amazing. Daniel 2.44, which was written in the 500s BC, by the way says, during the reign of those kings, he called the actual time. He said there will be four kingdoms, and then this will happen. During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. What do you think he's talking about there? He didn't say after the reign of these kings, a king will come and he'll crush them all and he'll rule the world forever. He said during the reign of those kings, during it. Who could have called that? Except for God. Who could have prophesied that except by the Holy Spirit? These little verses that seem to mean nothing, just, just markers for times and places. When you actually dig in, you see all the layers to it. That God has a plan with every single word he speaks. Everything has a purpose, and not just one purpose, but layers of purpose, because God is not only the God of individuals, but the God of nations. He's not only the God of today, but the God of eternity. He has so much bigger of a perspective than we do. This is the basis for worship. Understanding just how big God is. And when I sat at my kitchen table this week planning this, my prayer was, God, Allow me to communicate how big you are. Because right now I can't even come up with words big enough. An epic, cosmic, grandiose, I can't even think of words big enough for this revelation you've given me of how big you are. To call him big doesn't feel sufficient. To call his plan perfect doesn't feel sufficient. We're so arrogant to believe that we know more than him. How dare we? I had this moment where I just thought, with this understanding, it's not a sacrifice to serve him or to live in surrender of him. When I have this revelation and this correct understanding of who God is, it's actually a no-brainer. How could I not serve that God? I can now see these layers of rebellion in my life or I've bucked away from his plan for my life. I just don't have any business being in rebellion, not against the God this big. Now, I want to obey on so many more levels when I understand this, and I can understand that my little life in this one section of history, tiny little blip on the map when you think about how much God oversees and has created, my little life, it's not about me. It's about serving this cosmic, epic, global, infinite, grandiose, all-encompassing plan. Uh, how can I help that plan? How can I be used? God, how can you use my little life and somehow turn into something that makes impact on this, this grand scale? It's not about me at all. Somehow, I had to keep reading. <laughs> Verse three says, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And all over again, I thought, wait a second. <laughs> I I think of that, and we generally in our context think, yeah, we're all going home for Christmas. That's what this is, right? We're returning to our ancestral towns. We're gonna eat a ham and sit around and have fun, right? This this is a, this is family reunion. Actually, in this context, no one was happy about this. Remember, 60 years prior, a foreign government came in and overtook them. No one was happy about this. We see 30 years later when Jesus is all grown up, nobody's still happy about it, right? Everybody's really angry, in fact, and they want Jesus to overthrow the government, kick them back out, and let them take back over. Nobody's happy about any of this. In fact, political and... and, Uh, family tensions, everything was high. (laughs) Everybody was angry. We saw even last week in our story that everybody was angry. Nobody was happy. God's people throughout the generations have been made to serve governments that they did not like. That they did not think was according to God's perfect plan for them. Does it sound like anybody? I don't know if you can identify, but... But if if anything shows us that God's will and plan cannot be thwarted by any move of any government ever, it's this story. I Let God handle the big picture stuff. Because obviously he's got it. (laughs) We don't need to try to micromanage everything. We have one job as Christians, that is to... Preach the good news and it should trump all other jobs, duties, responsibilities that should come before everything else. It's not to make sure everyone obeys, by the way, by putting more laws into place or voting the right leaders in. It's to preach the good news, the good news, the good news. We sometimes forget that it's good news. I want to shake our finger, wag our finger at everybody and tell them how bad they are. It is good news that we have. It doesn't matter who's in charge. It doesn't matter what government or party has control. God is in control. Even when it looks bad, God is in control. And not just of our little lives, yours or mine, but in control of everything ever. He can control the evil, power-hungry governments, kings, and leaders, and, and he can use them if he so chooses. He has seen it coming. He can handle it. It is our job to be lights, even in the darkest places. We can shine the brightest. Nobody was happy about this. This was the context Jesus was born in. Political tensions were high. People were angry. And here comes the Messiah. Verse 4. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem. By the way, also a prophecy. In Judea, David's ancient home, which was also a prophecy, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, which would later become fulfillment of prophecy. (laughs) He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. (coughs) And while they were there, The time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Also a prophecy, by the way. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. This is where I thought we were going to (laughs) start. And I asked myself for a while, why the shepherds? Why would angels, a host of them, show up in a field of all places? Why not in the palace with King Herod? Why not in the streets where all the townspeople could see? Why would they show up to shepherds? And I started researching shepherds. And honestly, I think we have a little bit of a skewed view on these guys. We generally think of farmers, and farmers in our context are good, hardworking people that provide us food. We like them, right? (laughs) In this context, though, shepherds were literally outskirts people. They, they lived on the outskirts of town, but they also lived on the outskirts of society. They were dirty all the time. They were sleeping with the sheep, <laughs> sleeping with the animals in a field. They were dirty all the time. And Jews had a thing about being clean, right? They couldn't worship without being clean. They couldn't enter into their temple or courts without being clean. And so literally these shepherds, they couldn't worship with their people, they couldn't enter the temple. They couldn't testify in court. They were bottom-of-the-barrel people. They were considered to be not good society, not good company. Dirty all the time. They probably stink. They were sleeping in, in the street, in the fields. Why would the angels show up to them? This is part of what I love about God, though. And I started thinking... If the angels had showed up to King Herod, what would he have done with that information? If they would have announced the birth of the Messiah to King Herod, what would he have done? We, know, we actually have the answer from last week. Remember? When he got the news about Jesus being born, what did he want to do? He wanted to kill him, right? He was going to bury that information literally and metaphorically. He was going to go and kill the child, bury it, and nobody would ever know. He wanted to bury that information. If, if he had showed up, if the angels had shown up to the streets and, and the, the people, they were all annoyed about the news that a king was coming too. So why would the angel show up to them? They either wouldn't have believed it or they would have been mad about it too. I think the angel showed up to literally the only people who were available and receptive, who had their ears open enough to hear it. They were humble enough to not be scared and panicked that a king was just born. They were excited. How many of us, we ask God for a word from him, but then we get mad when he gives it. Why would God give words into that context, (laughs) right? We're not ready to hear it yet. We're not open and receptive to that word when it comes. So why would God speak? It's not going to do you any good. We're not humble enough to actually hear it. The shepherds were humble enough to hear it. They were available and receptive. And so we see what they do. These lowly, dirty, unqualified outcasts. Watch what they do when God shows up to them. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news See, some people have a problem with this. They have a a problem with believing that there is a spiritual realm beyond what they can see in the physical, right? It's it's these kinds of things showing up throughout the Bible that some people are like, yeah, I just can't believe that. This is fantasy. This this isn't real. Angels aren't real. Things like this don't just happen, right? Well, I, I can't see angels. I can't see a spiritual realm, so it must not exist. The thing is, I kind of love that there's something out there that I cannot see or understand yet. Now when I have this knowledge of how big God is, I'm not sure I want to understand all of it. (laughs) It's too much. I'm going to trust that God has got this and and just God give me my assignment for today because everything else is too complicated to understand, right? Besides that, there's tons of things that I believe in that I cannot see. I can't see love, but I know it it exists. I can't see the cells in my body without a microscope, but I believe that they're there. I can't see the quantum realm, but science tells me it exists. I actually started studying quantum physics a little bit this week. Do you know that quantum physics actually states that all energy might be existing on the same plane at the same time? This is science. Not magic. <laughs> I'm not joking. The further you get into quantum physics, actually, the more mystical everything seems. And, and it's a science. And I think it's because the more we study ourselves, the more we see God. The more we don't understand because who could? He, he, I had this moment where I was studying quantum physics on my kitchen table. And I was like, not only is God big, so big, But he's so small, too. He's in the details as well. And actually, the the smaller that we get, the smaller that we can study, the bigger everything seems. How is this even possible? He is in eternity, and he's in today. He's in and over everything, and yet he's in and under everything. It it was blowing my mind. I couldn't possibly wrap my head around it, and yet I had to keep somehow reading Verse 15, it says, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Simple. The angels told us, We're going to get up and go see it. Simple faith gets up and goes. No questioning. No, did that really just happen? Like, did you all see what I saw? Or did we eat like some weird herb out in the wilderness we shouldn't have eaten yesterday. (laughs) What just happened? They didn't say any of that. They got up and they went. Immediate acceptance and immediate involvement. Suddenly with this understanding of who God is, I became a little envious of those simple shepherds out in the fields, able to have simple faith. Faith. Get up and go. When an angel shows up in your field, of course it was God. Of course it was an angel. And of course I'm going to go see the thing which the Lord has told us about. Let's go. Let's go be involved. They immediately got up and they went and they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, verse 16 says. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened because they didn't care about their reputation or the fact that people might not believe them. They told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And notice here, God's not afraid of Herod and his death threats. God chose people that would spread the word to show up to. He didn't show up to Herod because Herod wouldn't have spread the word. He didn't show up to the people because they would have been annoyed about the news. He showed up to the people that would spread the word the word, that would spread wonder and amazement throughout the town. God wasn't afraid of Herod and his death threats. He knew, in fact, that God had already had plans in motion to get Mary and Joseph out of harm's way, right? The wise men were already on their way by this point. God sent angels to the guys that would spread the good news without question, without fear. Other people may have buried that information, but... Not the shepherds. Other people may have been sleeping, but not the shepherds. Other people may have been scared, but not the simple shepherds. Oh, Do you want God to speak to you? Because I do. I beg him to all the time. In fact, I think in order to be available and receptive enough to hear it, we have to decide now that when and if he does speak, we're going to not question it. Not double think it, overthink it, second guess it. We're going to act. Simple acceptance, simple involvement. When he speaks, it's going to be very simple for me. I think we overcomplicate our faith all the time. We question it. We want to analyze it. Faith isn't something to be analyzed, it's simple. It's belief, it's movement, it's action. Some of us desire the gift of prophecy too, but when God does speak, we, we huff and we haul where we squirm, right? I don't know if I can go say that. What if they think I'm dumb? What, what if I'm, I'm wrong? What if I didn't hear right? What if they think I'm crazy? We're still too paralyzed with fear. Verse 18 says, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Worship is a collective, simultaneous understanding that we are not on our own in this world. And I'll tell you what, this may have been the most brave part of this story. The turning and the going back home. I've been in those moments going back to the real world after retreating into a conference for days, right? Praising and worshiping God, getting words from Him, hearing the Word, and talking about it with others and, and praising Him for all that He is. And then you have to go back home where not everybody praises and worships Him. And things aren't easy and spoon-fed to me, and I have to work for some things, and oh, God, do I have to go back home? I have to go back into the real world. And the funny thing is, even after I had all these big, mind-blowing revelations this week, literally sitting at my kitchen table, marveling and ranting to myself about how great God is, the next minute I'm having a conversation, more like a more like an epic battle of wills, really, with my dental insurance company.
1: <laughs> and I
0: literally hung up the phone to that conversation and cried a little bit. And I was like, God, what is happening? I thought if I was doing this right, if I'm having these big revelations about who you are, I shouldn't be fearful anymore, right? You have a plan. Of course, if you have a plan on this cosmic level of the Messiah, you have a plan for my tooth pain, like... How dumb am I that I can't understand, that I can't hold both of these things at the same time? And honestly, in that moment where I was struggling and questioning God, I just felt him smile. Because I live in the real world, too, and it's not a bad thing. We're called to, actually, to somehow reconcile our beliefs with our everyday lives. God said, you'll never be perfect. I didn't ask you to not feel fear. But you are more than a conqueror. You can handle this with this new revelation of knowledge that I've given you. You'll never totally conquer your physical nature of fear. But if you continually practice true worship with simple faith, you'll get to a place where fear doesn't rule you anymore where you're quick to recover from it. I don't have to run around constantly afraid, constantly trying to control everything, to protect everything, to babysit everything. I can feel fear, and then I can say, you know what? I'm not going to feel it anymore. Faith and fear are constantly at war. Cannot hold both in the same hand. It's one or the other. Worship is the discipline that keeps us on the right track. It's correcting your thoughts and actions to line up with who he is. And it takes discipline to keep faith simple. We overcomplicate it all the time. We want to understand why way too much. I can't tell you how many times I have asked God, why this? Why that? Why do I have to go through? Why does this person have to leave us? Why, 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 why? God almost always looks back at me and says, you're asking the wrong question. Stop trying to understand why all the time. In fact, you know that when Job, you remember the story of Job, the guy who just lost literally everything. When Job was questioning God after all that he had gone through, God's very lengthy answer to him was basically to show him the enormity of all that he has created and all that he oversees. It wasn't to address Job's issues Directly, I don't think he ever told him that Satan was the one that came and asked if he could tempt Job and all of that. That conversation never happened. God didn't actually explain himself. We got the explanation. Job didn't. His answer was for God to show him how big he is. To open up his perspective. Worship gives us that perspective and it helps keep our faith simple. And Job's very short answer in response to god was god you are so big i'm paraphrasing but he basically said god you are so big you are so good who am i to judge you you're right i'll do whatever you say i think this is why that angelic worship service happened in a field to simple shepherds everyone else would have complicated things Everyone else would have made it into something that it's not. The shepherds just responded with simple worship. And I believe, I think we can at any point find ourselves in that field. I think at any point we can look beyond everything natural and chaotic and crazy around us and see that bigger picture. But it takes the discipline of worship. It takes the focus of worship. Now, another reason I think the angel showed up in a field, by the way, is that church can now be anywhere. This is the piece that God gave me during worship today, by the way. Church can be anywhere. Before Jesus came, it had to be in the temple. It had to be a certain way and it had to be in a certain place. Now church can be in a field with stinky shepherds. It can be in the woods with no music at all. It's not actually about the music. And we are blessed with extremely talented musicians here at Freedom Valley Church. But it's not about the music. It's not about whether they're singing on key and whether their guitars are in tune. They always are. It's not about that. It's about our focus on who he is. The antidote to fear is worship when you feel fear start to well up inside you as it always does and it always will your antidote your answer is to say god you are so good you are so big so much bigger than my situation just tell me what to do i'm yours i don't have to understand it i don't have to analyze it simple faith is just saying, God tell me what to do. Worship shows you that this life isn't just about you. Worship opens up your eyes to truth beyond the lies that fear tries to tell you. Fear is a liar. That's a Hillsong song, but it's true. Fear is a liar. The angels showed up to worship God for the shepherds to be able to see the bigger picture. It was Contagious. They worshiped along with them. It was inspiring. They went and told the entire town. They went and worshiped Jesus in his presence. Stinky shepherds who were not qualified to enter into the temple, into religion. They were qualified to see baby Jesus when he was born. That's the presence of God that we get to enter into, even though we are also unqualified. Jesus' blood covers us and we can enter into his presence at any time. And worship is about seeing that bigger picture. The magnitude of who God is. That God is in everything and anything. That he sees all of it and he sees you too. You don't get lost in the details with God. You're not just part of a, a large Spectrum. He sees you for who you are. And when we understand that the plan of salvation has been written in the stars since long before we were born, that's when we can bring him our best worship. Those angels were sent to the shepherds because they were the ones who could bring the best. Didn't seem like it. They weren't qualified. And yet they did. Our best worship isn't about the music it's not about our theology and all of the songs being 100% correct the sky doesn't have to part with angels all the time to have the best worship it's just about getting your eyes off of you and on to jesus and when that happens our worship is simple and our mission is clear that's what will keep our faith vibrant passionate and selfless being worshipers Worship will enable us to simply and quickly accept and obey him. Maybe today you're recognizing you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus for too long. Your head has been in the details. You've tried to control your little world too much. And you need to refocus yourself on him. This is your day. This is your hour. This is your month. And by the way, I'm 100% aware that this is the hardest month. <laughs> December is full for everyone. There's so many excuses not to come into corporate worship and give him everything. There's so many excuses to not fully focus on who he is. And I'm not asking you to simplify your schedule and cut out everything and sequester yourself in your house. I'm asking you to focus your thoughts. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, understanding that God is bigger than you could possibly imagine. And he is in the details, that he's the God of nations and the God of individuals. He is the God of eternity and the God of today. And he crafted you according to his perfect plan at the perfect time in history with a purpose in life. And he's placed you in this time for a reason. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to pretend to be someone you're not. Just trust him because his plan has been written in the stars since long before any of us were born. Let's bring him genuine worship in spirit and in truth, in simplicity and authenticity. It's not complicated. We can just come as we are. I don't know about you, but I want to return to simplicity. We get to be children again in his presence. Jesus was the one that said, let the little children come to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He didn't mean five-year-olds. He meant those with childlike faith. Just understanding that we don't have to understand. We don't have to have it all together. We get to trust in the all-knowing, all-powerful one. Let's just rejoice in him. Bring him our best worship. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to IMN. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.
2: When uh, the shepherds were standing in the field, someone came bringing good news. Have you ever heard the term, don't shoot the messenger? I feel like the angels probably felt like that because the angels immediately say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You see, Candace talked about worship tonight. And there's, a, there's another prophecy we need to bring up. One day, every being will stand before God. Let me restate that. Every being will kneel before God and worship him and declare who he is. But at that point, for many, it will be too late. You see, God says that he gave us this life and and he gave the life of his only son so that we could receive him here on earth. And when we stand before him in heaven, we will acknowledge who he is. Remember that's what worship is, acknowledging who God is. We will say you are God. And for many it will be too late. But don't be afraid. For the angels brought good news that brings great joy to all people. For the Savior has been born. We don't need to be afraid. You see, so many times we don't respond to a message of faith or or a call to the gospel, the good news, because we are afraid. Angels showed up, and they were afraid. Don't be afraid of something good today. One day you will stand before God, and he'll ask, did you worship me with your life? Did you accept my son, believe in him, allow him to forgive you of your sins? to cover your unrighteousness. Don't let it be too late. You can receive that today. Today you can say, I wanna follow Jesus. I want him to forgive me of my sins and give me a new life. I wanna worship him with my life and follow him from this day forward. Or maybe you're gonna say, I I need to come back to my father. I need to start worshiping again. I need forgiveness again, and I need a new blessing and a new anointing, and I need to receive him fresh and new today. If you'd like to receive him, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Would, you, would everyone just close their eyes and create some space? We're just going to create some privacy in this place, because I don't want anyone to be afraid of responding to God today. Respond in faith. If you're here today and you say, I need Jesus to forgive me my sins, I need a new life, I need to worship him with the rest of my life, so that when I stand before him, I can say, I received Jesus, I follow Jesus, and I worship Jesus with my life, and I'm here before you today, knowing I carry his righteousness. Father, we come into your presence and, and we thank you for these responses, these individuals who've accepted you. I know right now that there are angels celebrating your glory in heaven because a lost daughter, a lost son has returned to you. We celebrate with them, rejoicing that there is new life eternally, that that no longer are we dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ. Jesus, you forgive and you give a new life right now. So let this be a moment that is remembered, that we look back to and say, I am a child of God and I will worship him from this day forward. Remind all of us who are followers of your Son and forgiven by the blood of Jesus, to this week, this month, this year, never stop worshiping you because born is the Savior and risen is our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for this time of worship, this reminder of the prophecies that point to you, the need to worship you for your magnificence, that goes beyond all our understanding. Be with us until we see each other again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.